If you have your Bibles and want to turn and follow along with us, we're in John 15. We work our way through the Gospel of John. It's amazing, amazing Gospel, and we're hitting an amazing chapter. We're in the farewell discourse, this last words Jesus gives before he goes to the cross, and he's talking to those who are his. And I just... How you take these words today, to me, go a long way in determining how you will experience your life. Not not so much the reality of what's going to happen, because I believe your life is in the hand of God, and that Jesus has you, and if he has you, he has you. But you know what? We don't experience things the same. Because we take in different ideas about who God is for us and what's going on. and So I'm, I'm calling this welcome home, but I know very well that different people have different views of home. For many of us, home was something to escape. For others of us, it was fantastic. So I'm talking about the fantastic side. You know, like, like in summers, we would go up to my grandma's house when I was growing up. And she was out in the woods and we would go and it was, we just longed to get there. And be with family and be outside. She made the biggest cookies you'd ever seen. And, and, and hot cocoa. And I wanted to go there. I wanted to be there. And she had rules, you know, the number one rule was be happy, which no one ever was the whole time, so we broke her rules. The second rule was make your own bed and, you know, make your own breakfast, that kind of stuff. But we just, so welcome home. And you know, home is not the church. Home is your Savior. He's got you. And I want to show you that today and show you what comes into that. We have different ideas about God's, God's heart towards us. In fact, Jesus talked a lot about what we thought about God's heart towards us. Remember the parable of the talents where, where there was one guy who hid the money in the ground because he thought God was going to require it back from him. God's looking at you. How did you live your life? Prove up. Or the wedding feast where God's having to almost beat people to come to the wedding feast because no one will come because they, they're caught up in other stuff, you know? This idea of who God is. Lots of stories. Probably the one I resonate the most with is the one where the son can't wait to get away from the dad. Luke 15. He runs off. He wishes the dad's dead. He goes and, man, I'm going to get out in this world and explore the pleasures and the good things that the world has to offer. Get me away from this restrictive environment. And so he goes. And, you know, the story catches up to him while he's eating pig slop in a pig pen somewhere. Going, man, I wish I could go home. And he goes home and really the story is the dad's looking at him, right? In Christ, God in Christ, watching, knowing, running to him and robing him and sandaling him and giving him a, a ring. It's so amazing. And, and many of us have captured that sort of wonder that God loves us. Now what? What's the rest of my life? What's going on? That story is amazing and heartwarming and, and our experience coming to the cross. But then over time, most of us, many of us, transition. We transition to the other son in that story. We transition to the elder son. You've been around home for a while now. And you're looking at people and thinking they're not doing the things they ought to do. And even your own heart, you don't do everything. Pretty soon, you become more a judge of yourselves and others, a judgment eventually on God himself. There's a loss of welcome. 
joy. Much of Christianity. And, and honestly, to me, what happens is, it's because of how we see the words we're looking at today, in some sense. Because there's this message of, of, of this amazing welcome that shifts to sort of this idea of, of deserving or improving or fruit-bearing. Achieving your potential. Obtaining victory. Being better than you are. All of us, you know, we, we fake it a lot. We cover over families that are hurting. We, we, we kind of try and ignore sin that besets us or act like we don't really struggle with it in a lot of ways. I've been to so many funerals. I rarely get an honest picture of the person who died. Almost always get what a good person they were. Why, why do we do that? Bought by Jesus. You know, we're just talking about people all the time. Sorrows, we kind of just, hey, you know, Facebook has become this like, oh, everything's okay. Or if not, I'm victimizing so you have sympathy for me so that you help me you know, as I focus on myself. So you who are weary, you who are still the younger son, and, and forget your amazing welcome, you are wounded by this world. And like coming to my grandma's house, oh, man, you are welcome in Christ. And the welcome stays. It doesn't go away. It doesn't change from Jesus to you. It stays in this wondrous, amazing truth that, 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 that he's got you. Not, not just for that first moment of, oh, I'm saved. Look, I was such a sinner and my sins are forgiven. But all the way through, that's today. As we look at this idea of welcome home to me. Okay, couple parts. It's all around the image that Jesus begins, and he begins in 15, about you being connected to him in the vine. We're going to talk about that today. So, so here we go, chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. So this is it. This, by the way, the last of the great I am statements. There were seven of them. And this is the last one. Two of them has been in this talk. So we start today. And I ran you right in because really the curtain as it comes up doesn't come up. The curtain's already been up. Started back in the beginning of 14 when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's still in the same talk. I am the true vine. But he's shifting his focus a bit. Remember, I am the only truth. The only life, the only way, trust him, not yourself. And that happens by the Holy Spirit we saw in chapter 14. But here, Jesus, I, I, and go, Amy, it's this emphasis on him. I am the true vine, my father, the vine dresser. And we're like, what? Yeah, this definite agricultural image, and many of us aren't agricultural people, so we're not in it. But they would get it then. They were that way. Very specific context. Don't miss this. Don't miss this as we start. Hey, very specific context if you were in first century Judaism. Because, because for them, who was the vine? Israel was the vine. Right? Over and over in the Old Testament. 
Isaiah 5, Isaiah 27, Psalm 80. Uh, 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 there's, there's more. There's lots more. Ezekiel 15, Ezekiel 17, Hosea 10, over and over. Who's the vine? Well, God is the vine dresser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the direct vine is Israel. Right? Consistently yielded bad fruit. The idea was that God tended to Israel. They never produced good fruit. So here Jesus is making this huge move. He's saying, I'm the vine. That displaces Israel. Maybe what Israel is always pointing to. Big change. Instead of you being the vine, and expected to respond to God's care. Not longer. Now it's Jesus. He's the vine. And so you just connect to him, this vital connection. If you have the connection, then you definitely bear fruit. Because he says that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Says says the Father's about, about me, Jesus says, and the things that are connected to me. That's kind of cool. Well, wait a minute, that sounds a little bit scary. Sounds scary to you? Are you bearing fruit? It's so not scary. Because the issue of your life is only, are you connected? If you're connected, then you got the Father himself pruning and working and and doing everything on you. The vine doesn't, doesn't prune itself. Nothing happens on its own. He's saying everything that's connected to Jesus gets tended to personally and carefully by God the Father. Wow! The only thing is, is are you connected, right? Not like the branches are working to get fruit out. Boy, I'm, he's gonna cut me off if I don't bear some more fruit today. Like you could do that as a, as a branch connected to a vine? Yeah, we anthropomorphize it all the time. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, right? Clearly, God is in the business of fruit bearing through the vine. And what's the fruit? It's what he wants to happen. What he desires. He's in charge. This isn't some, hey, get fruitful. This is you have it. You dirty, messed up, uncertain, seemingly nothing you are clean, are connected, are his, and he'll get you where you're supposed to be. Why do I say that? Because that's what he says. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Dude, the word makes you clean. Not soap. Not effort. The word does it. Abide in me, he says. And I in you. Stay here. I clean you. I welcome you. Don't leave home. You're in me and I'm in you. That's not a threat. That's because this is home to be in Christ. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Wow. See, the, 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 the most important thing in your whole life forever is your connection to Jesus. And the whole idea is how do you think you're connected to Jesus? What, what do you think that connection actually is? And are you connected? Because that's how fruit bearing just happens. He keeps going on. I want to read. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. People try their very best to run the wrong way with this stuff. 
Like Jesus is going to help you bear fruit, but it's up to you to get her done. That's precisely the opposite of what he's doing. Right? Our Savior, the one who died on the cross for you and for me, he says, if you're connected to me, you're bearing fruit. And he's looking at people who have been convinced that, that, that God requires them to enact their potential into actuality. That's, that, that's Judaism. <laughs> Obey the law and God will bless you. And he says, he says, no, no, wait. Israel's no longer the vine. Didn't work. Now it's just, are you connected to me? The only thing that matters is the connection. And so he saves us, right? That's so wonderful. And, and it's not only a start. Salvation isn't conversion. A lot of times they say, hey, are you saved? What do they mean? They mean, have you paid a prayer? Jesus, please come into my heart. Forgive me. I'm I'm a sinner. Please be my Savior forever. Whoa, I'm saved. Yes, you're saved, but that's conversion, right? That's that moment in time thing. Salvation includes the whole piece. What's the whole piece? All the other big words. Adoption. Regeneration. Sanctification. Justification. Salvation is God's got you. And not just at the moment, way back when, or yesterday, or even this morning, when you say, man, I want to trust this Jesus. But but if you trust him, you're connected to him. If you're connected to him, you'll bear fruit. The whole thing becomes he's at work, right? It's not a bait and switch. It's not a yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa, I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. Now come with me into deeper waters of discipleship. Where you're going to make... Make sure that you make the right steps or else you're not really going to bear fruit. What? He saves us. It's not only a start. It's not only, yep, that was pretty bad pig slop. Here's a pair of shoes. Use them well. Jesus actually says his whole salvation is yours. Your whole life is his. And and the person who's in charge of that is him. He's got you. Lean in. Why? Why can we have home and have welcome and have acceptance and have joy and have stability and have hope? And simply because he says there's a connection. Do you trust it? Will you receive it? He says, he says, not me, not the church. He says, I cover you. I produce for you. I am yours. So I walked, uh, that's nice, Dax, but there's a task, right? There's got to be a task. Yeah. There, uh, one of them is bearing fruit, right? It's eight times in this passage. So we, we zoom in, man, I got to bear fruit. Eight times. All the other, all, all the rest of the Gospel of John only two times. So right here is the passage on bearing fruit. This is it. This is bearing fruit. I want to bear fruit. This is it. I, I want to have abundant life, man. I want to, I want to make a difference. So we worry about it. And he's talking about it here. And, and his message is, if you are connected to me, God the Father is about the business of making the fruit he wants from the plant. Well, I want to be in charge. Yeah, I know, that's a problem, huh? God the Father is not good enough at it. <laughs> How silly. 
But we think, we th- I don't know. So there's nothing to do at all. Actually, you're just saying, let go and let God. He's going to work on me and I'm going to sit and eat my bun. No, no, no. There's a task, right? There's a task. It was there. It was, it was over and over in this passage. Last passage, over and over trust. This passage, over and over abide. So there's a task for this fruit-bearing stuff that you and I are going to do the rest of our lives. And it's to abide. Right? That's what he says. He says it clearly. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away. Like a branch. And he withers. And the branches are gathered and they're thrown into the fire and they're burned. Whoa. There's an image for you. Here's something else to worry about. A task to make sure we get completed, right? Abide or else. That's that's true, but... That's what we think abiding is, right? Because it's like the reality of so much of the world, which is struggling and earning and righteousness and justice and peace and love in itself, humanity, all of us, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and taking on the task of doing the good, avoiding the evil and failing. I can't find anybody that doesn't fail. The very best of us, right? The Harvard grads and and the stoner dropouts. The do-gooders and the do-nothings. Nothing matters, says Jesus, because it all burns. Because if you're not in him, the only thing that matters is abiding. If you're not abiding, it's going to burn. And you've got to take that in because we're evaluating all the time. And, and, And with that, we're making judgments all the time. There's no such thing as getting this done because you can't get it done. Fruit bearing. So the weird way we twist words around, we think something like this, you know, I was totally bound to sin and everything I did was sin and I was enslaved. So with that, I ignore all the good that anyone ever does in the world. All parental love, all kindness. If a Buddhist does something good, it must be really bad because there's no good apart from Christ is the way I start to think. It's wrong thinking, but I want you to, to, to walk into this with me. I was enslaved, and but I'm, I, I was, just like the atheist. And, and so the love they have, the kindness they have, we just wipe it away under this idea that everything was sin. And then I prayed a prayer. And that act of will on my part brought a new life. So now, in my flesh, right now, I have the ability to not sin. And to bear good fruit if I make the right choices. So everyone here, under this thought that it's about you making the right choices, have you studied your Bible? Uh, That's like taking in fertilizer, you know. Praying, that's like getting water. And if you actuate the right things, you will grow like a vine and bear fruit. Or you have the power not to sin anymore. That's my part. That's my task. And if, if you shoehorn that kind of thinking into this passage, then abiding in Jesus means making every effort not to sin. And it's about whether or not you get the right choices to do it. Because it's certainly not God that makes you sin. And you can glorify God by participating in fruit bearing, which is you actively acquiring the Holy Spirit power to have victory in whatever moral behavior you think is right. Except, except what? Except what, Dex? Why is that so wrong? Because it's not abiding. That's not what abiding is. 
That's not what Jesus is talking about. That's working. That's you being the vine. That's you exercising your independent will and acquiring power from God. That's all sorts of stuff, but don't call it abiding. Because you start thinking this is how God works. By you achieving and you judging and him helping you be all you can be. And it leads directly to either a couple of terrible things. One of them's pride, but the other one's fakery. And we have an infection of fakery. Why do I say that? Because I'm a human being. I'm in the flesh a lot. Last time I considered this passage, I shared a news story. It's many, many years ago now, but it's a real news story of a gal who made it, let it known that she had uh, cancer. It was leukemia. It was blood cancer. So not very long to live. And so, man, the community came around her, got her a cool wedding dress, a honeymoon to Aruba, cool ring, all donated. Even her fiancé moved up the wedding like six months so he could marry her before she died. Awesome. You know the problem, right? She didn't have cancer. She lied about the whole thing. Real story. Really happened. So I said, what a trickery, terrible thing. No, my question is, why did she feel she had to do it? Why did she feel the pressure, the push to be who she wasn't? And, 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 I, and as I ask that, why do you feel that? Because all the time with our little sins, we sweep them under the rug. We don't show people our messes. We, 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 we show people our good things, the, the, the things that are going well with us, right? I, I, I feel funny about it even. I, feel, I don't want to wear gunk on my sleeve. I know I'm forgiven. But there's this pressure. You have to show that you're worthy of and, and responding and growing and bearing fruit. And this thing that slips in is I'm in charge of that and I gotta show that. And what if it's not really there? And oh no, what if my life's not really that well put together? And, and really, at the end of the day, what does abiding mean? Abiding means giving that to God. The Father who says you're connected to Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. And he's got you. And he's bearing fruit through you. So I don't know what that is. Yeah, that's okay. It's not your fruit. Your idea is, do you trust what God has said? What did he say? In Christ, you're in me. Full stop. I don't think that's true because I want to leverage God. What I want to do is I want to get past the cross. I want the cross to enable me to go do good things. And that becomes my functional life is that I'm going to let Jesus enable me to actually become somebody better than I was before. And so I kind of need less of Jesus along the way as I get better. It's not abiding. Abiding is trusting Jesus, right? Trusting that his word is true and remaining there. Being at home. Like actually saying, I, I, I came home and now I'm home. I'm not leaving again. I'm not leaving the gospel for more law. I'm not leaving Christ for improving me. I'm trusting that fruit's going to come and I want fruit. Your home. He's welcomed you. He'll make sure that you glorify the Father. You take this really important for your life. Look, look what he says. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. See, abiding is the key, even for anything that happens that the Lord answers. Verse 
It's a task I can't really even do, right? Abiding. I have to trust his words. What words is he actually saying? It's the ones he's speaking. The ones that that he is everything and you're nothing. He has every single thing in his hand. Nobody will escape his hand. Just trust him that he has you. And and I said, well, I can't. You know, my these circumstances are too bad. These people over here are bothering me too much. There's all this stuff. You say, wait, wait, wait. Does he have you? He has your fruitfulness and he has your life in his hands. You don't. There's no such thing as sort of getting done with a task like abide because it just means remain. It means stay at home. The weird way we twist him. Abide. Because you are home. He's welcomed you. He'll make sure that you glorify the Father. Take this in. I mean, by this my Father's glorified. Here it is. The glory of God, right? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father's loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So, oh, again, you just, you're tempted. You're, you want to take it with your flesh and run. Okay, I'm going to go bear fruit in order to glorify God. When what he's saying is, you're in me, you should trust that the Father who glorifies himself will make all the fruit he wants out of you. Because he's God. He doesn't need you to give him glory. He's glorified by making fruit in you. So what's going to happen? He's going to make fruit in you. So what am I supposed to do? Abide in the love of Jesus. Catch that. Catch that. that. That's a little bit different how Jesus goes into and helps show us. Abide in my love. Do you see that? It's not something saying, man, I'm just going to try and remain so trusting. And No, 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 no. You continue to say, I'm remaining in the absolute certainty that Jesus loves me. You know how hard that is? <laughs> so hard. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to comfort you and come alongside you and remind you because you're gonna, you're gonna wanna leave this a lot because you're gonna mess up and then you're really gonna say, cause Jesus is talking in the plural here, you're really gonna see Jesus doesn't love that guy. Sorry to point over here. That guy. But to realize we are loved by Jesus and that's the essential piece of everything doesn't deny that we sin. We sin horribly. And, and, and we need the forgiveness of Christ and the absolution that he brings from his blood on the cross. And so, so we acknowledge, oh, no, I'm nothing, but, but I'm loved by the king, and so are you. And, and, and so he's going to produce in me what he wants. And so I'm home. This weight can come off of having to be who I'm not. See, it's about Jesus and the love of Jesus for you. Not your love for him. And so as the Father has loved Jesus, so he has loved you. That's what he said. So abide there again. Abide in what? His love for you. You trust his word, which is trust that he is enough for you. That's his commandment, right? Want him. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So so that's the task. You're you're free because he sets you free. You bear fruit because you're in him. You abide, and that's a warm word, a cozy word, a a receiving word, a remaining word. Saying, don't leave. And again, I'm not talking about don't leave this church. No, 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 no. 
Don't leave Christ. The promise is His, and all He says He will do, He does. Can you believe that He loves us? I have trouble believing this. I have trouble believing that He loves me. I have trouble believing that He loves you. Sorry. I don't for some of you. Some of you like shine like the stars. I'm like, wow, the Lord loves that guy. Whew. So gifted, so amazing, so rich. And so even my eyes, I'm blind because is it about riches? No. Is it about ability? No. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's about the love of God. You enter into this idea that the Lord actually loves you and you remain there. Okay, there's some things Jesus says happens after we abide in his love for us. Here they are. There's some result. It's amazing he loves us. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's amazing. He's not speaking these things for your moral edification or to make sure you bear fruit. Man, I I want to share this with you, Jesus says, as he's going to the cross for them. Because it's such fantastic news. You're going to bear tons of fruit. Just remain realizing I love you. I died for you. Stay there. And this will cause joy in you, you know. To see how much you're loved. To see how much he loves the person next to you. And you can start to rejoice in the wonder. It's all he's done for you and for your fellow believer. I mean, Jesus did the best loving ever. And it goes on. He's about to prove it at the cross. Because greater love has no one than this. Well, he said, this is my commandment. You love one another as I have loved you. Because our love's always grounded in his Do you see how much you're loved? Do you realize he loves the person next to you? You start to rejoice in that, and then you start to be for your fellow believer. That I mean, it it goes together, but it's not something like, oh, prove it. It's a result. And then he says this. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Wait a minute. Stop. There's a problem. I'm not really a friend. Jesus is going to lay down his life for his enemies, right? While we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for the ungodly. There's this incredible, amazing, overwhelming truth that God speaks right here, that that you, who are connected to him, simply by trusting in his word, are his friends. Why? Because he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. What is he commanded? Abide in me. Don't leave. Don't go off into self-righteousness. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master's doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. So look at this. Don't turn away. Don't dismiss it. Jesus commands, trusting him alone. He says, trust him. Abide in his love. Stay with him. Don't trust this world that says you've got to achieve and earn and improve. I know how hard this is. I've been to school. You get graded every week. You get tests all the time. You get paid money for work and you get more money if you work well and you succeed and you want that and you strive for it and you go after it and this is all the world, you know. Jesus calls you friend. 
almost that that's the only word you hear, damn, super stoked. Because if you realize that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to earth, and, and, and it's the most amazing thing ever, and that he will look at you, you dirty, sinning you, and, and, and he says, because of my work, I'm your friend. Will you hear that? Will you receive it? Not, not, you know what, I'll, I'll be your friend if you, if you manage to clean up a little bit. I'll be your friend if you get out of that habitual sin. I'll be your friend if you do some really cool things for me today. Exactly backwards, right? Just amazing. Why is he your friend? Because all he's heard from the Father, he made known to you. And he's talking to the disciples about all the things he's told them and all this message, and especially this message about he's dying for them. It's amazing. And this trust that he calls you and me friends, he does it for you and me. These are not dry words. It's amazing for God to call you his friend. You have a friend, the best friend ever, the one who died for you. He chose you to be his friend. Is that okay? You did not choose me, Jesus says, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you will love one another. I'm setting up this incredible home for you, Jesus has said at the beginning in chapter 14. Welcome home. I choose you, not because you're worthy, not because you have some glimmer of good hidden away in your heart, not because you've made wise choices, not because you've kept yourself pure, precisely because you know you haven't. Precisely because you will receive the actual truth that real life and real fruit are all about me, Jesus says. I've done this so you will do. Even your love for one another. Because I adore them too. So we're going to end here today. We'll pick it up next week. This is not dry theology. This is life. Good news to any who will hear. Welcome home. When you see that Jesus is the one who runs to you, that he's the one who clothes you, that he takes your rebellion and wrongness and sins and he saves, it's not back to the mines. He doesn't require back from you. He is the Alpha and the Omega. means he starts and he finishes what he starts. He's got you. Remain, will you? He says to you and me today, abide, remain, don't leave his love. Leaving his love is to go off on your own and think that your love is the needed peace, the essential response, the reason for the cross is to make you a better person, to use the cross, to get beyond the cross and into your self-potential. I put a quote in your bulletin at the bottom of of the outline of this. It says this, The gospel is not heard unless people are no longer attempting to enact their potential into actuality. I don't say that lightly. This world and Protestantism in general, has bought into the idea that God wants you to try and enact your potential. Hogwash. Jesus Christ came to save you, sinner. And he promises he will use you if you abide in his love. 
don't go into anxiety and pride and judging and evil. It may seem good, but it's not. Instead, see this. Stay at the cross. Stay in the wonder of what Jesus has done. You fall and he picks you up by promise, in hope, without fail, perfectly, and he will bear good fruit through you. I desire it for you. Desire it. Want it. But it comes as you remain in his love for you. Jesus Christ loves you. Let's pray.